top of mind right now is, I think one really important thing is the ICP focus, so ideal customer profile. I think a lot of companies probably, as they showed early on, it's about, okay, let's get some revenue in, focus on the top line so we can grow the company, show traction and you know uh, raise our next funding round or whatever it is. And then when do you switch from that to, again, getting revenue in? That's nice. But for a company like ours, it's about getting the right customers in. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Insights Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Emil Dervik. He is the Chief Revenue Officer of Tempify. Emil started his career over at L'Oreal in the Nordics before moving on to Dropbox, and then to where he is today, over at Tempify. Emil, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Lee. Great to be here. So first things first, I'd love to know, can you tell our audience a little bit more about your journeys to Tempify and really what your story is? Yeah, I can uh, I can try to to keep it somewhat uh, somewhat short. So uh, yeah, after uh, graduating uh, from a master's in in Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, where yeah I'm from Denmark, um, I got the opportunity to to work at at L'Oreal, uh, which was definitely a great experience. But uh, I would would lie if I told that my passion lies in cosmetic or hair products. <laughs> Um, so I got the opportunity to uh, join uh, Dropbox in Dublin um, Island pretty early in the sense from a B2B standpoint. It was obviously at that point in time, I think, yeah, early 15. It was a, a pretty significant B2C organization with high revenue numbers, but the B2B organization was still uh, pretty early stage. So joined as uh, yeah, uh, the first person or one of the first persons in, in the Nordics to take care of that uh, as an uh, yeah, enterprise account executive or account executive um, to essentially go in and, and sell uh, the business products that, that Dropbox offers to uh, Nordic companies. So I had a good ride uh, in, uh, in Dropbox for uh, some years in, in Europe and then uh, following that moved to uh, New York with, uh, with Dropbox. Um, and then the opportunity arose that, uh, yeah, uh, I got the, the chance to, through some connections, to uh, meet the, the founders of Templify. And we, we had some chats, and then one thing led to another. Um, and I decided after the Dropbox IPO that uh, it was time for something new. And yeah, it was a perfect timing with uh, Templify wanting to, to open up a New York office, which was timely since I was in New York already. So, uh, yeah, and that is now. Yeah, close to, to four and a half years ago that I joined Templify. So uh, I hope that was short enough. So I love it. Short and sweet. Um, and, and it leads really nicely on actually to my, my next question, which obviously I think going into Templify, I understand you started out as, um, uh, was it direct, uh, Enterprise Sales Director? Is that correct? Um, and so I'm interested to know um, what the go-to-market function looked like at that point in time. And then obviously, you know, to where you are now, which is Chief Revenue Officer, what that journey has looked like. Yeah, sure. So um, I think don't catch me on uh, or, or hold me up on the exact number, but I think we were around like uh, 
30, 40 employees when, when I joined uh, Templify. Uh, only had an office in, in Copenhagen. So uh, New York was the first international office. And yeah, I was employee number one here in the US tasked to uh, yeah set that up with everything that that implied. So uh, everything from actually finding an office to finding some employees, yeah. uh, <laughs> all of that. So, so it was, you know, very uh, scrappy, uh, which was exactly what I was uh, looking for uh, when moving from, from Dropbox. Um, so it was essentially starting um, again from from scratch in, in North America and building an organization um, there on a great foundation, though uh, great products. There were some uh, some uh, good sellers uh, out of Copenhagen who had already proven that uh, we were able to sell this product to uh, large enterprises, um, and then it was. You know, two thirds of addressable market is in North America, so it was very natural. Uh, next step uh, after raising our Series B, uh, that uh, we would go to to North America. Um, so that was uh, the time that that I uh, joined. Um, and then, yeah, uh, over the past four and a half uh, years, I've uh, moved from um, managing a sales team and some uh, SDRs to to managing a bit more, and and now in 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 the role today a global one uh, where yeah uh, I'm responsible for our sales efforts uh, globally in terms of making sure that we find the right new customers get them in and that they are they are happy and uh, that we uh, yeah of course uh, provide a lot of value to them you mentioned that it when you when it first started you know you're quite scrappy at the beginning and and I love the thought of you particularly with the office that you're sat in right now um, I, I mean I hope that was the first office that you uh, that you moved into right um, I would love to know specifically uh what was it in those early days that uh, that really resonated you know that really worked you know you're in the in the sales team you're being scrappy and it's we're trying to get a foothold in this market and i appreciate that's a fairly vague and broad question but is there something where it was like where you finally made your mark and it's like yes this we need to um, lean into we need to do more of yeah, so a, a few things, and, and a lot of it I can't uh, and can't take credit for because that was done uh, prior to to me joining. But I think one of the the things that we did really well, and that I recommend to to all companies wanting to to open up uh, in in a market uh, abroad, is that uh, we did a setup from Copenhagen where we did some thorough testing of the market itself, um, and we did that for uh, for. For two reasons, obviously, to see is that the direction that we should go. Should we open up in the U.S.? But then also to when opening up in the U.S., ability to go in uh, with full confidence that yes, this is working. So concretely, to get into the weeds of things, we uh, got an SDR team as so a part of our SDR team. We switched them to working East Coast hours from Copenhagen, so they're working afternoon and evenings. The same with a few select AEs. And that allowed us to, of course, build pipeline, but also close deals. So we we're very much monitoring, are we closing the deals within our ICP that we want to? Um, which proved pretty quickly that we were able to, and also at the, at the size, uh, deal sizes that we, that we wanted to, uh, which gave full confidence in us. Okay. We can actually be successful here. And, and really that leads me to, to the second point, which I'm a big believer in that, um, Going into a new market as a unknown company, uh, which we were at that point, nobody in the US or very, very few knew of Templify back then, is that really it gave us the confidence to say, okay, we can go all in and do a big bet on it because we have, you know, we have the confidence to do so. As opposed to let's be, I see a lot of companies, let's open up a small office, hire a few people, see if it flies. But 
how are you going to do the root cause analysis of, well, if it's not working, did you hire the wrong people or is it a market fit or something third, where we had always squared away that we have the market fits um, and that we hadn't proved with people from Copenhagen that we were able to, to sell the, the deals to the customers that the that we would like to and was within our strategy. So it, it allowed us to, to go um, all in uh, from the beginning which uh, provides some benefits and with all in a bit to the scrappy starts. I mean, we, we started uh, in an office in Soho with uh, where I, I got a couple of seats from some of my friends. So we did truly start scrappy uh, in the first couple of months, but then we, uh, we quickly moved into uh, a nice office and got to a size where we hired six AEs, we hired SDRs, uh, we moved over some, some people from Copenhagen as well. So we pretty quickly got to like a proper office size, uh, which was very intentional. Of course, if customers were to, to visit us, they could see, okay, this is actually a, a legit enterprise company, but also that what people are buying into uh, early days when they don't know you as a company or a name, they buy into what they see. Of course, they can read online, but they walk into an office. Are they walking into something where they said, you know, a couple of people in the corner? Are they walking into something where, okay, this is good energy. It's a cool office. It seems like you know, some really smart, engaged people. I want to be part of that. I want to be part of building that. Um, so, so that is is something that uh, I think we did really, really well, and that I've seen other other companies do. The exact same uh, with success. Um, so that definitely a big, a big learning. So all the preparation going ahead, and of course, final thing, building pipeline before you open also allowed us to that the sellers that we hired started. They didn't start from scratch. They actually had tangible pipeline they could start uh, on from day one. Um, yeah. Well, you make it sound relatively straightforward uh, when you put it like that. So. I, I'm really intrigued to know then because, uh, you know, I've spoken to guests before about, you know, just even beyond the, the logistics of moving from selling in Amir, for example, into into the United States. Were there, is there, or perhaps was there one challenge that really stood out um, from going from selling in the Nordics, uh, you know, going from your bread and butter to selling to a North American market? Yeah, I I think from... From from us uh, and and Christian and Henrik are our two founders. Uh, from day one, uh, they set out to build a global company. So we had never targeted only let's start with Danish customers and then you know move to the Nordic ones and then move to Germany, etc. It was really let's let's target global customers from from day one. So we had that advantage um, from from the beginning. Um, of course, the customer base and the references, all majority of them were in the Nordics. Some that we started to, to gain a good attraction, amount of traction in the rest of EMEA, um, but had few uh, in, in, in the US uh, that we really could, uh, could leverage. Um, where still, if, when selling what we sell, which is we, we target large enterprises, uh, it is, and, and I had the same thing when I moved over as an uh, yeah, individual contributor uh, from, uh, you know, working out of Europe in, in Dropbox to, to the US, okay, how much different is it selling here uh, in, in the US? And that is also a question that, that I pretty often get where, where to be honest, um, I don't think it's that different. Of course, there are some decision-making processes and other things and there are, there are differences, but also US, the United States is a massive country and selling in, in New York is different than selling in, in LA, for example, uh, as you would expect in, in Europe too. Uh, but really it is, in the end, it's people we're selling to. Uh, people want to be, when buying enterprise software, they want to buy value. They want to, uh, you know, 
get a consultative sale. Um, and that's that's universal. Um, and again, what they're really buying into in the end is is a change. That's what, what you're selling in the end. Uh, and that's universal no matter where it is. And of course, then you adjust something to the culture uh, or the industry or, or whatnot. Uh, but but really, I don't believe that uh, you know it's uh, black and white of selling in in Europe versus selling in the US. Nice, I appreciate that. And you know, as part of your journey, you've now moved up to Chief Revenue Officer of Templify. So knowing what you know now, you know from the four year journey to get to where you are, if you could you know take all of that knowledge and all of those learnings and go back in time, and let's say for example, you started as a Chief Revenue Officer. What would you do differently? Yeah, great questions. So uh, a lot of things, of course. You know, it's 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 easy to to you know look outside in and think that we did everything perfectly. Where naturally we made a lot of mistakes on the way, uh, as I think most companies uh, do. Uh, where I think what we would have benefited from back then. Um, so we we went out. We had few sellers uh, at the point in time. So this was actually also the first time that we really were to go out and hire external sellers to the company. So we opened up in an entirely new market for the rest of the company. Obviously, I lived here already. Um, but then we also added the first uh, bunch of sellers uh, externally. And so so what we did back then uh, was that we, we deliberately uh, hired... So we hired six AEs uh, in the, within the first uh, month to, to open up the office. And again, Paired it with two AEs that we relocated uh, from from the um, from Europe, um, but we purposefully hired some different profiles uh, in the beginning to see okay what is the type of profile that actually will be successful here at, at Templify of you know both our culture but also selling our our solution. Uh, where of course knowing now now we are a lot sharper on what is the profile that, that is successful at Templify and what are the characteristics, skills, et cetera, all the things that we're looking for. Well, that would have been nice to know back then, um, for sure. So I would say definitely highlight that. But then also on, on, on the flip side, and, and we were, I think, around like when we opened up 5 million AR, uh, I think, um, where that's also pretty early stage. So if you if you get too locked in, um, then you also risk of, of course, you know, missing some opportunities. Uh, and I think a good example um, that I like to highlight is if I was a uh, gun to my head, choose five industries, you're only allowed to sell to these five industries in, in North America, I would probably not have picked the healthcare uh, as one of them based on what we've seen in Europe. But we, you know, saw that over uh, the period of time that healthcare is a very, very uh, attractive industry for us uh, here in North America, and we have a lot of customers. So allowing, obviously, you need to have a strategy, a direction that you follow pretty uh, religiously, but you also need to, especially in that stage, to to leave some room for experimentation um, to, to, again, allow for those external inputs. Uh, But... To, to the point, there were things, uh, especially on, on the people side, that if you just knew we hired the right people uh, from, from the get-go, then then that would, of course, have, have made us get to where we wanted to be faster. I, I'm really interested, actually, to pick up on that point because you mentioned, you know, there were certain characteristics that you found, you know, really resonated. So I'm interested to know then, what were those characteristics, you know? And it would be good to get a bit of insight into, I guess, what the cultural values are of, of Templify as a whole. And and I suppose, I wonder whether the characteristics that you found of your sellers in in, in North America were um, kind of the same as that, or whether it was uh, values that complemented it. Yeah. Um, 
so I think you know, let's say the the, the foundational characteristics uh, have not changed, and I argue they should they should not change. Uh, you know, no matter where you're selling. Uh, so so at least what I have observed also in my career around all the best sellers that I've been surrounded have you know share a lot of things in common um, in terms of in terms of traits. Uh, where to to answer your question, it's also that you need you need a different profile when you uh, are at five million and you have traction but you're still building something out, you are, have fewer processes, you have a less defined market, fewer people know you than when you're at 100 uh, million in, in AR uh, and need to scale. So I think it's just being uh, cognizant of what type of people do you need at uh, what point in time. And, and again, that you don't hire a, a uh, very experienced seller uh, who you know, is really good at running and run direction too early. I see, you know, that mistake, you know, done a lot. And then of course, also the flip side of somebody who likes, you know, the experimentation, likes to, you know, figure things out where a lot of things are figured out at hundred million, hopefully. And so it is more that, okay, this is what we want you to do. Of course, we still need to improve, be better. So if you spot something that we should improve, please raise your hand. But the role is, and, and the role is more defined at that point in time. So, so that is just, you know, depending on where you are stage-wise, uh, for sure. So with all that in mind, um, I, I'm keen to pull us in a slightly different direction, actually pull us a little bit out of uh, of out of Templify. Um, so what would you say from your perspective then, knowing what you know now, um, what would you say is the single most important factor necessary to building a high-performing, scaling, go-to-market team? Well, I mean, the single most important is, uh, sorry to go back again, is naturally the people. That's the foundation of, of, of anything. Um, so, of course, having the right people on board at the right points in time uh, as well. So also uh, just acknowledging that there are you know, different people or different profiles work really well at different stages. And of course, some are highly talented. They can work across all stages and enjoy that and enjoy the evolution. And some are more, you know, they prefer the early states, or they prefer when some, uh, you know, something is more built out. Uh, there's more processes, etc., in place. So just being being cognizant of, of that. So people is is the foundation. Where well, I'm not sure that was uh, answering your exact uh, question, or maybe it was uh, Lee. No, absolutely, it absolutely does. Um, and I think um, I'm intrigued to know then, with you know, if we're talking high performing teams and it's and it's scale up mode. Um, going from where you were to where you have got to, could you give, and, and obviously with your role now in terms of CRO across all different teams, what are those, is there perhaps a common thread across each of them that you're really looking for when you're trying to hire people um, at different stages? I guess what I'm trying to get to is how do you know, how, you know, with, because with, with our listeners, they'll be each bit different stages. They'll be at, you know, early stage growth mode, which is, you know, where we're Ebster at. And there'll be others who are, you know, enterprise sellers. And I guess what I'm trying to get to is, is there something that, is there a specific uh, kind of value or trait that you're looking for at different stages as you've gone on your journey? Yeah, abs- absolutely. So if we were to look at some some core, you know, uh, traits or characteristics that never changes, no matter stage, I would say the number one thing I look for is curiosity. It brings a lot of positives uh, to you. You're curious about the product that you're selling. You're curious about the competition. You're curious about your markets. You're typically also curious about your colleagues, which is very important when building. You know, building a company is also building a culture. 
So curiosity, and then I'll, I'll say if I were M, just like two more. Then, then for me, it's around the team. Um, so again, that of course, you know, I like, I'm competitive myself. I like to win. I like to be surrounded by people who, who, who like to win too, uh, but not on the expense of the person next to them. Um, of course, you know, AEs, you want to be number one globally. That's great. But if they can be number one and lift everybody else around them 20% at the same time, that is really where I assume, okay, that is a that is an A plus player versus an A or a B player uh, when they manage to do that. So curiosity, the team components. And then lastly, it is we are in, in, in sales. Um, it is, you know, it is hard work. And if you assuming that you do the right thing, more input is going to lead to more output. Uh, so the people putting in the additional hours or the additional work, it does matter. Uh, and it will uh, yield um, uh, yeah, results. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I, I did mention three things. Uh, and then one thing that is, you know, let's say a bit more easy to to look for is is the... Like how? What is your approach to sales? If we, I know we we go a bit into the AE SDR route of you know, are you more a magicians or are you more a science? Uh, you you know, is selling for you science or is it art? Um, where you can scale the magicians, you can scale the art. You need them in the beginning. I'm fully you know, you need somebody to go out and evangelize your 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 products. Um, and, and some people just have a natural fit for it and they will continue to be successful uh, or can continue to be successful even when you scale the company uh, to, to become very bigger, uh, a lot bigger. But for you to truly go in and scale, you need to get something down on recipe and formula, uh, which is where it needs to go from, from the art to, to science. Uh, so that's, of course, also the journey that we have been on for the past four and a half years is uh, going from uh, a lot of you know co-founder-led sales to then uh, a couple of really talented individuals carrying a lot of the revenue to then five to then ten, etc. And then saying, what are these individuals doing right? Let's get that on a formula, so to speak, and then hire people in with the right traits uh, who are excited about it and can teach that or get that formula. So again, we can scale this predictably. Um, so that is the Again, for all companies, uh, what you're looking for, because yeah, the magicians uh, they are hard to find, um, so and and they have a limit to to how much you know how many you can find. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, and you you touched on a point that I'm really interested to know a little bit more around. You know, so once you find your magicians, then you need your scientists. I think great analogy. So from your experience, then over those four years of those the the, the scientists, let's say, was there perhaps one process or um structure that um that you implemented that uh, like galvanized them you know helped you on that journey to predictable revenue that was a real game changer for you yeah so um so we we actually we we were asked by one of our investors to to come what is that yeah four six weeks ago to to come and present on this topic for for their portfolio companies on uh, because we have been pretty predictable in, in terms of delivering what we told uh, throughout the, the period that I've been here and also prior um, to that. So, so you know, we, we built in, uh, I think also pretty early, some, some really good structure around our sales process uh, to, to follow. Um, and that's, of course, both from a very basic, you know, Salesforce setup, but then actually also what we were doing in the different stages from a tactical perspective. And where, where we could have improved is also evolved that uh, setup over time a bit faster than, than we had. So we have done, it's been a big focus for us uh, the past uh, year um, of, you know, 
revamping or not revamping, but let's say improving and, and getting uh, our, our, our setup and our processes to, to the next level in terms of how we actually sell and, and again, how we can uh, scale to, to the next uh, phase that we're going into uh, in, in a growth stage. Nice. Any examples that you can share of perhaps one thing you're particularly proud of that went into that? Um, I mean, top of mind uh, right now is uh, so. I, I think one really important thing uh, is the is the ICP uh, focus, so ideal customer profile. Uh, I think a lot of companies probably, as they showed early on, it's about okay, let's get some revenue in, focus on the top line, so we can grow the company, show traction, and you know, uh, raise our next funding round or whatever it is. And then when when do you switch from from that to again getting revenue in? That's nice, but uh, for a company like ours, it's about you know getting the right customers in. It it takes the same amount of time to onboard and get a very large enterprise live as it does for a mid-market customer for us. We're naturally the uh, we are a modular platform, uh, meaning that we typically gain majority of our revenue after we sign on a customer. Um, so getting the right customers in are extremely crucial for us because we've used a lot of resources to make sure that our customers are successful. Uh, afterwards, with churn scenario, we have you know really really good numbers in terms of uh, churn in terms of NR, uh, which is of course testament to our products, but also the the efforts that we put in and the time and and resources we invest in our comp- in our customers getting on board. But if we get the wrong customers in the door, uh, we're too small with the, let's say not enough potential uh, for us, then they're going to be a deficit, uh, whereas if we get the right ones in. So I'd say really that we have gotten really, really sharp and, and really continue to improve quarter over quarter our ability to to get IC, the right ICP customers in, uh, which is crucial, of course, for uh, we are more relevant for them. So the propensity to buy upfront is, is higher. That's good. But when we look at total customer lifetime value uh, over a period of five to 10 years, that's really where it starts to, to kick in, that we get the right customers in. Um, yeah, so I'd say definitely that. Um, and then also we, we have done a lot on, uh, on our approach to go from an inside out perspective, uh, in terms of going in and pitching again from the templify narrative to actually switching that around and outside in, which is, it's a tough exercise, right? Um, but going to, to that outside in saying, what are the, what are the problems? What are the pains for our buyers, whether templify existed or not? And then how do we attach ourselves to them? How do we position that we're going to help our customers solve those with our technology? Um, which is, you know, that that's that's transformation. It's, it's different. Um, and, and I think obviously one that most companies need to go through. Some of companies uh, do that really well from early on. And then from, from us, we've, we've done that, uh, that pivot, uh, not a pivot, but at least evolution. Um, so, so again, I guess the classic is going to from feature function, right, to, uh, to, to value and again, the, the outside in perspective. So we've done uh, great strides on, on that uh, this year, which we show us across all our metrics in terms of our deal sizes, our sales cycle length, our, the average revenue we get per user and so forth that uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing that kicking in. Um, yeah. Amazing. And and one that um that you didn't necessarily touch on that I am really tre- intrigued to go into because we were talking about it pre-show, um, is um the role of content in actually helping to drive that revenue. You know, I know it's exactly what Tempify does, but what I'm really interested to understand is how you're using that in in-house. So to 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 use a um cliche like drinking your sipping your own champagne um so i'm really interested to know how you're using it yourselves 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so maybe, and this is not to uh, need to avoid answering a question with you know some high level. Uh, one, it, but it, I think it does require yeah. some context. I think before yeah, 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 some, some context, and again, um, it's it's fine. We can talk about Templify, what what we do, our solution, where um, where really it's from from that aspect. I think it's it's crucial and important, and often ignored part uh, of all this stuff we talked about so far around people. Of course, they're the foundation, but then there's a you know these things where at least what we've seen, and, and we recently uh, published a content is everything report where there were some some really interesting uh, stats for more than, than 2,000 people surveyed around the amount of time that people spend on creating documents uh, and content. And of course, being in sales, this is essentially, you know, you're not going to get a deal without having presented something to the customer and getting uh, a document signed uh, in the end. Um, right. So there are documents in, involved, but there, at least we see a lot, not necessarily front and center um, of a lot of companies' uh, thought process. And if we take some of the the basic uh, the basic stats is that on, on average, a, a proposal, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I think you know. I'm trying to uh, cite our, our our numbers here, but I think it's around 24 hours on on average that it takes to uh, to produce a, a proposal. Uh, and of course, that varies. Whether are you selling, you know, some more simplistic, uh, you know, more transactional down markets SMB solution? Hopefully, it doesn't take 24 hours. But are you selling, you know, a, something a complex RFPs for you know selling uh, a vessel to uh, uh, you know a shipping or uh, a shipping company? There's a lot of bolts and nulls in in a, in a ship, right? So that takes more more than 24 hours probably to to put a proposal together with all the specifications, all the data that needs to go in. So this is again that's on that's on average, um, but really the the point here being that uh, people are spending a lot of time on creating content, and typically the content is is you know is not the purpose, it's the outcome of that content. What is the outcome that we drive by using that content? So really, if you were to still down, what is Templify and what do we do? Well, we, 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 we are on, you know, on a mission to take the, the manual work out of producing your documents. Uh, so you can actually focus on what matters, which is the meeting that you're going to. Instead of having to spend 90% of your time on preparing for it with putting your presentation together, your contracts and whatnot. What if we could remove that 90% and reduce it to 10% so you can actually focus on, okay, let me go in and smash that meeting and get the outcome that I wanted or deliver the value to the customer that I wanted. So that's really distilled down what we do. Um, and that's still very fluffy. So so what we are is we a document generation uh, platform. So we help uh, uh, people uh, create their documents, um, and that is no matter where you create them from. Um, so we are agnostic to the starting point of: Are you creating something from Salesforce? Are you creating something from in the office or the, the G Suites? Are you starting from a different system? Um, we will meet the the user uh, where they are, and and really to to also to get to <laughs> to your to your question now: What do we do internally? Um, if we take a, a classic case of I as a rep. Uh, I need to go and, and present to uh, a customer. We might have the first meeting. Then, okay, let me bring the first call deck uh, or the first meeting deck to that customer. I can just go 
which I think most people do in most organizations. At least that we see. Okay, let me just take the the old one I've saved on my desktop. Uh, I'll just uh, update it to with you know with the company name, making sure that the date is right, and you know just you know control find uh, or command find to to find that I'm not mentioning the customer that I visited last week. And in, in this proposal, it looks pretty unprofessional. And then goods, I'm I'm ready to go. Um, and that that is you know also how I used to work personally uh, because that was the fastest. Uh, where of course it it uh, it opens up for uh, you know a really suboptimal experience for both the customers, but also the impact that you can have as as a rep there. Uh, because are you necessarily presenting what is exactly the highest impactful content to that to that uh, customers? What I would love to know is yes. when you use it in house. Um, I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm guessing there was a point when you probably weren't using it, maybe in the early stage um, of the business. And feel free to correct me if I'm completely wrong. But when you started using it, what was the impact on you know revenue? What was the impact on the bottom line at the end of actually starting to use it? Yeah, we've been using it from 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 day one, in, in, and of course the product has evolved and and you know gotten a lot better than what it was back in in 2015 when we launched. Uh, but again. Not to, to go into the figures, but a study shows that 84% of people are using incorrect or outdated information when created documents. Uh, with us, of course, things can happen, errors can happen, uh, and, and people can. It's not that we don't force people to, you know, you can reuse old content if you want to. It's just typically slower, where that is that figure is is obviously very low to zero with us. Um, so I think some of those, there's a risk component. Um, and then again, the, the impactful content. There's a reason why you have such big product marketing teams and customer and marketing teams in general in uh, in enterprises is that they sit and produce content that they know will drive based on, typically based on data, that they know will drive revenue for you. But a lot of cases, a lot of times, that content sits in a repository uh, somewhere that you have to go and find it. You don't necessarily do that, right? Uh, and then it's produced, but it's not having the impact. And that is directly impacting uh, the top line. And then, of course, the massive amount of time is wasted. I mentioned that 24 hours were, on average for producing a proposal. Uh, but I think the, the figures uh, is around like uh, overall, um, I don't recall the, the exact numbers, but it's really, really large numbers um, in regards to how much time, and, and just think about yourself, how much time do you actually spend on a weekly basis producing a document? Uh, I think it's around 15 hours where you actually literally sit and you know type things. And of course, an analyst at a bank that's significantly more than 15 hours. If we can just eliminate that or reduce that by 30%, 50%, 80%, then we start to talk really big numbers uh, on the bottom line because those resources can be, uh, that time can be, be redeployed to revenue generating activities in our field in sales. They can get on one more customer call uh, or two more customers call or they can do more prospecting or whatnot. Uh, so one thing is us eliminating that time or reducing it, but really it is what, what can they repurpose that time to? Uh, is is where we start to see significant impact. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes where you can get all of the uh, all of the data and uh, insights that Emil's been uh, mentioning through that. Um, last question: um, I would love to know what is the one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders. Yeah, well, I've, I've, it, it's uh, impossible to get around that uh, the qualified sales leader by John McMahon. Uh, it's it's read and it's a great book. So uh, yeah, that's a must read. Amazing. Why? 
I think it's uh, first of all, it's it's it's, it's well written. I think uh, you can identify with you know the opening scenes around spending time at a QBR that is you know wasteful. I think all sellers or managers or leaders have been in that. Uh, you know, so it is okay. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Obviously, his record shows. But uh, I like the way that uh, it's engaging, uh, the book. And then there's some very, very concrete takeaways that you can take and implement uh, in your organization today. Um, so those are the two, the two main, main reasons. Uh, and maybe it's, I'm, I'm wrong. It's, for me, it's a page turner and I read it probably too many times. Uh, but, but yeah, so those are the two, uh, the two main takeaways or two reasons. Sorry. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. And therefore, as such, Emil, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing insights into Tempify and into, and into your world. Um, if, uh, if our audience wants to learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing and, and follow what you're, what you're um, working on, I saw you posting your lovely walk to work in New, uh, your walk to work in New York, uh, the other week. Uh, where can they find you? Yeah, so uh, they can find me. Uh, yeah, either on on Brooklyn Bridge on the way to uh, to our office in in One World Trade, but if that's more of coincidence, so uh, they can find me on on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, of course, also uh, more than happy for people to reach out to me to me directly. Um, and if you're interested in in what we do for customers concretely, then we have a great sales team uh, that people can reach out to too. So smooth. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Emil, thank you so much again. It's been great to have you on. And thank you to everyone that's been listening to this week's episode. We'll catch you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.